Turn with me, please, in the scriptures to Philippians, the third chapter, and verse 12. He said, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Keep reading. I count not myself to have apprehended. Now, we'd probably say today to have arrived or to have attained. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we've already covered a lot of ground concerning these things. If this is the first time you're with us on this series, let me encourage you, go online and watch or listen to or download the previous messages. It won't cost you anything. If you want a hard copy, you can get a hard copy in the church here in Branson. It won't cost you anything. But we've gone into some detail and length about what the Bible calls perfection. That we have been called unto perfection. Now, Today, when most people hear that, that doesn't sound right to them. Because one of the things that's strongly believed among church folks is that nobody's perfect. And you, I mean, you'll get as strong amens on that as most anything. And that's not actually a verse. But people believe very strongly, nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And the implication is, nor could anyone be perfect. Well, then what do we do with all the verses in the New Testament that talk about being perfect? Just ignore them? Just throw them away? <laughs> it's quiet in here. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us. What do we do with that verse? Say, now Jesus, you know. (laughs) None of us are perfect. So I'm just going to ignore what you said. Luke 6.40. Jesus said, the disciples not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. What does that mean? Jesus said, you're not going to be above me. But you can be like me. You can be just like me. And he's perfect. How many would agree he's perfect? Well, he said you can be like me. Most Christians don't believe this. Ephesians 4 says that God gave gifts unto men, including what we call the fivefold ministry gifts apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And he gave them for. The perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13. Till we all come into the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we be no more children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. 
by the slight of men in cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So instead of just ignoring this, we need to find out what he's talking about when he says be perfect. What God means when he uses the word perfect or perfection. And so we went into some detail about that. And we said it's true that none of us are perfect after the flesh. None of us are perfect in knowledge or understanding. None of us have been perfect in performance. But the scripture says the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of him whose heart is perfect towards him. Other translations bring out who's wholehearted. The word perfect in these verses means complete, fully developed, matured. And you see that in these writings about growing up in Christ unto a perfect man. What does that mean? A fully developed. So even though we're not perfect in knowledge, you can have a perfect heart. Every day of your life. Before the Lord. You can be wholehearted. All his. No reserve. Fully committed. And even though you might make a mistake in your head. Or might make a mistake after the flesh. God's not just looking at the outside. He's looking at the inside. Right? And if your heart was perfect. Even though you said and did some dumb things out of your head, God looks at it. And if your heart was complete and wholehearted through the whole thing, he looks at it and calls it perfect. He doesn't see as man sees. This is good news. I said, this is good news. There's been more than once that I, I did some dumb things because of my ignorance and lack of knowledge. And I was repenting to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I messed that up so bad. And the Lord said, I knew your heart. I was looking at your heart. He knew I didn't do it on purpose. I, I was endeavoring to do what I thought he wanted, what I thought was right. And he, he reminds me, I was looking at your heart. I was looking at your heart. Thank God. He's not looking at all the imperfections of the flesh. And all the ignorance. Yay, stupidity. Aren't you glad? He can see past all the stuff and look right into your heart. And if your heart's right towards him and you did it with all your heart, he says, that's perfect. Men may find all kind of fault with it. But who do you care more about what they think? Men or God? That's not a trick question. Go with me over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1, we're going to read in the Amplified. Uh, Hebrews, uh, what did I say? 12th chapter is where I want to go. First verse, 12.1. Now, Hebrews 11 is the great hall of fame of faith, great faith chapter. And this wasn't written in chapter and verse. So this flows with the 11th chapter. Therefore, he said, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What kind of witnesses? Faith witnesses. Let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, every weight, 
and the sin which does so readily cling to us and entangle us, let us run with patient endurance and steady active persistence the appointed course of the race that's set before us. Keep reading. Looking away to Jesus, who's the leader and source of our faith and also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. Many other translations will say he is not just the author and finisher, he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep reading. Let's read several of these verses here. We can put this back into King James for time's sake. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. What's, what's the danger? Getting tired and giving up. That's what he's cautioning us. Don't do that. You've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Somebody might say, well, how, how long do I have to deal with this? And, and how far can this go? Jesus dealt with it to the degree that blood came out of his pores, resisting the temptation not to fulfill the will of God. And so where'd you get that? Well, when did blood come out of his pores? What was he praying? Not my will, but your will be done. That was the struggle and the temptation. But Jesus resisted sin and did not give in. You Have you forgotten the exhortation that speaks to you as in the children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. So then specifically, when he's talking about don't give up, don't, don't faint, don't quit. He's talking about when you are corrected. Don't despise correction and discipline. Why would he need to say that? <laughs> you talk about something that is despised in this modern generation. It is correction. Oh boy. And, and this is not new. It's been this way generation after generation because the devil's nature is rebellion. He is the most rebellious being you've ever heard about. He defied God himself. He is defiance. He is rebellion itself. And he's called the God of this world. And the Bible said the spirit of disobedience works in this world, in this generation. You know it. It's all around you. Defiance, rebellion. A lot of folks, just because you said do it, they're going to say no. Before they even think about it, if they even want to do it or not, it's like because you told them. And you see it when little ones are two years old. I mean, they don't have to be on the earth, but just a few months. Is that right? And you try to do something with them and they go, no, I'm not going to do it. Why so animated? Why? Because there are spiritual forces throughout the whole earth that's pushing on the human nature to rebel, rebel, rebel against any resemblance of authority. 
but especially you rebel against God. That's the devil. That's who he is. That's what he is. And he wants to influence you. He wants to influence me. And sadly, he is influencing most of the world's population. But Jesus said, you want to learn about me? Come learn about me. I am meek and lowly of heart. You want to be like Jesus? Then you will not have one stubborn bone in your body. I said, do you want to be like Jesus? Jesus said, I do always those things that please the Father. He said, I did not come from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus, as he walked the earth, was completely submitted, which the world thinks is a cuss word. He was completely submitted to the Father. True or not? And humble, teachable, receiving, yielding. The spirit of the world is defiance, disobedience. Do you want to be free from being like the devil? How much do you want to be like the devil? (laughs) Then you can't be stubborn. You can't be defiant. You can't be rebellious. Because any degree of that you are, that is the nature of the devil himself. Now that was worth you combing your hair and coming to church. Is is that right? Right there. Is it true or not? Well, I just don't know if I believe that. Put your nose in this book. I just quoted a half dozen scriptures. Are they true or not? Was that my idea? Your idea? No. Why would it even rub you the wrong way? Because all of us have yielded. I mean, when I was a a teenager, not been taught any of these things. Defiance is just in you because you're in this world and your flesh. I was, I think I was 14 or 15 and I could grow a mustache. <laughs> and I've had facial hair my whole life, just about it. So I grew, a, I think I, I grew a, what do they call them? The one that comes down like this, Fu Manchu or whatever it was. Well, my school didn't go for that. So I got called in. And you know what I did? I wrote the state representatives. <laughs> yes, sir. And I presented my case. Somebody say defiance. <laughs> defiance. And I pled my case. And I, I, you know, one of the first jobs that I had, I uh, uh, was loading freight on the docks. And somebody said something uh, uh, that, you know, actually part of it wasn't true, but uh, I got called into the boss man. And um, it was time to humble yourself and say, yes, sir. Even though some of it wasn't right, it wasn't my place to correct him or tell him I'm their employee. But I'm a man. Think for myself. Ain't nobody's doormat. 
I'm American. <laughs> watch out, watch out, watch out. How many know something you ought to be before you're an American is a Christian? Thank God for our country. But being proud and being an American, people think that's wonderful. But pride is the nature of the devil. You should be thankful. You should appreciate it. But being proud is another thing. Being proud is evil. Whether it's proud of yourself, proud of your kids. Say what? Yeah, you heard me. Being proud of your kids is being proud of yourself. They're your kids. <laughs> be thankful for your children. But don't be proud. Be glad. Rejoice. Celebrate in their accomplishments. When the father spoke over Jesus, what did he say? This is my beloved son. And I am so proud of him. No, I am what? I'm pleased. There is no pride in God. There's zero pride in Jesus. The devil is full of pride. He's the proudest being we've ever heard of. And therefore full of defiance. Full of rebellion. Well, they came on that job. That guy called me about something. They asked me, called me to the office. I said, well, I want to hear it from them. Oh, it made him mad. Woo! He went out and stopped work on the dock floor. Everybody came in. Made them go around one by one. I said, well, if that's how you feel, I'll just walk. And I did. Rebellious. Everybody say rebellious. rebellious. Defiant. Stubborn. Someone said, well, you got to stand up and be a man. That ain't being a man. That's being like the devil. I'm going to go over here to this side and see. <laughs> I'm, I'm not telling you something I learned overnight myself. Over the years, the Lord helped me to see how proud the men in my family were. And how I had to, you know, dissect what it means to be strong from what is devilish. You know who I want to be like more than anything else? Jesus. They don't come any stronger than Jesus. He's the best man there's ever been. And he is a man. The Bible said there's one mediator between God and man, the man. Christ Jesus. And I want to be like him. Well, he said, you want to learn about me, I am meek, humble. If you look at the other scriptures, Submissive, obedient. The Bible said, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. Jesus, by the things which he suffered. Suffered what? Not getting your way. That's some of the most painful suffering you can do. (laughs) It's having to submit your will and your desire to another. It's quite painful. And not easy. Somebody says, well, submission's always been easy for me. You don't have a clue what it is. (laughs) Submission's never been easy for anybody by nature of what it is. But it is the way God has chosen 
And it is the way to promotion. And it is the way to victory. Because there are all kind of things in our life that need to be subjected and submitted. Elsewise, we'll miss him. We'll go astray. Keep reading here in, in Hebrews. You've forgotten the exhortation that speaks to you as much as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you're rebuked of him. Keep going. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. God corrects and God disciplines. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. He's not going to correct you if you're already right. <laughs> Think about that one now. Why would he correct you? Because you need correction. You're wrong. Why would he discipline you? Because you didn't get it the last 12 times. And you're about to run off the cliff. Why is he doing this? Not to prove to you he's big and you're little. He's right and you're wrong. No. Why is he doing it? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And he's not just going to stand by while you go off the, the deep end. When he can help you by correcting you. And when he does... We should not despise the correction. Even though it's not fun, we should realize, why am I getting corrected? He loves me. He's he's helping me. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? There's no such thing as children who never need any correction or discipline. No such thing. I've had people tell me, Boy, my little so-and-so is just an angel. You know, they're 13 years old. I've never corrected them. Well, I don't have to meet them to know they're a terror. (laughs) There's no such thing as a child who never needs any. Now, there's some who need more than others. I, I get that. But there's no such thing as a child or an adult. Because even though you might be 80 years old, you're still God's child. Is that right? And you still don't know everything. And you're not right about everything and you haven't arrived. Isn't that what Paul was saying? I don't count myself to have arrived at perfection. But this one thing I'm doing, I'm not laying down acting like it can't happen. I'm forgetting everything that's behind me and I'm reaching and I'm stretching toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is that high calling? What is that mark? What is that prize? It's being like him, which is perfect. If you're without chastisement, whereof all the partakers, your most translations say illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For verily, for a few days, they chastened us after their own pleasure. Some translations say, as they thought best. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness or separation. Do you reckon where we sit right now? There's stuff in our life that's not godly. That's not wisdom. 
Do we need to be enlightened to it? Do we need to be corrected? People act shocked when correction comes. Are you correcting me? Well, do you think you don't need any? You've already arrived at Christ-like perfection. You don't need any correction. No. Look at your neighbor. Help them out. Help them out. Tell them, say, you need some correction. In fact, you need a lot of correction. (laughs) It's the truth. But now the question is, will you receive it? Because you don't have to receive it. You can refuse it. You can despise it. You can get mad. You can get hurt. And if you do, and you sever relationships, and you jump out of places, and you leave, then you will not develop. You will not be perfected. You'll never, you won't mature. You won't grow up. You remain a spiritual infant. Flesh dominated. And very much not like the Lord in your sayings and doings. How many believe we should be more like the master by the end of this year than we are right now? Well, how's that going to happen? We live by faith. We walk by faith. It's how we please God. It's how we receive. It's how we overcome. And we see in Hebrews 11 the great exploits of of men and women of faith. But chapter 12 goes with chapter 11. It all flows together. And what he's showing us, how is he going to perfect our faith? Will we become his disciple? He is the faith master. He is the master of pleasing the Father. Right? And we're going to follow him and he's going to teach us and instruct us and correct us. And when we need it, discipline us. And we are going to become more and more, not, not just made righteous by faith in him, but in word and deed, in life, more and more like the master. Because it's supposed to be, if you've seen us, You've seen him. That's how it's supposed to be. We are the light of the world. People are supposed to see God. And hear Jesus. In us. Well do we assume. We're there. Right now we've arrived. Everything I say is just like Jesus. Everything I think is just like Jesus. Everything I do is just like Jesus. Well if not. What needs to happen? I need to be corrected. Not do it this way. Do it this way. Not think like this. Think like this. Correction is not a bad thing. Godly correction is God loving you. To be uncorrected is to be unloved. I said to be uncorrected is to be unloved. Job had said, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, despise not the chastening of the Almighty. Say that out loud. Happy is the man man. whom God corrects. corrects. Happy is the man. Man, it's freedom 
When you're doing something wrong, you're doing something wrong, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, it's frustrating. It's wearing. And then you find out, quit that, do this. And you do it, and it works. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are y'all with me, friends? He's able to do this for us in every area of our life. So we should desire the correction of the Lord. We should receive it gladly. Even though it's not all fun, we should receive it knowing he's just got our best interest in mind. He's looking out for me. Numbers 12. Would you go there, please? Numbers 12. And let's see, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses... Because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. Then he restates it. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. (laughs) A lot of folks try to make this about race. And I don't know what was going on with Miriam and Aaron. Maybe Maybe that was some of it. Maybe it was about religion too. You know, maybe she wasn't from a Jewish background. But either way. They did not like the woman, the Ethiopian woman that uh, Bubba had married. We know him as Moses. They knew him as brother. He's their brother. And so Miriam, big sister, and Aaron, what they do? They spoke against him. And they said, has the Lord spoken only by Moses? Has he not spoken also by us? And they tried to straighten Moses out about this. You shouldn't have married her. We don't like her. And you shouldn't have married her. I guess they're saying you should have checked with us. And let us sign off. This big sister too, you know. You should have have checked with me. Let me tell you if she's okay or not. The Lord heard it. This is not sounding good for them. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were on the face of the earth. And the Lord spoke suddenly to Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam and said, Come out you three to the tabernacle of the congregation. That sounds like come out to the woodshed. And, and they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision and will speak to him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so. In other words, he's more than a prophet. He who is faithful in all my house. Now, now, friend. When God is testifying (laughs) about how faithful you are. Woo. Why did I say that? This is somebody you should respect. Why are they out there at the woodshed? Why? I want us to touch on for a few minutes. Ask and answer the question a little bit. Who has the right to correct whom? 
Does anybody have the right and the place to correct anybody else? The answer is no. But in our generation that has many people have never been taught anything about honor. We're suffering and reaping harvest in our generation today from the rebellion of the 60s. We've got multiple generations who have grown up and their parents and their parents before them despised all authority and threw off any restraint and don't respect each other, don't respect their parents, they don't respect their teachers or their leaders. And now we've got people that are third generation. They don't know anything about honor and respect because their parents didn't know anything about it. Because their parents didn't teach them anything about it. But God has never changed. And he is very, very big on honor and respecting whom, excuse me, those he sends. That's one reason we got these words up over the platform. Didn't the Lord say that? Those who honor me, I will honor. But those that despise me are lightly esteemed. They'll be lightly esteemed, I should say. Those that despise me. Why are Miriam and Aaron in trouble here? They got out of their place. And they came and corrected somebody they're seeing as their brother. But God doesn't see him as Bubba. God's explaining something to them. In a very serious tone. He says, if I have a prophet, I give him dreams. I give him visions. You know he's my prophet. Should you respect that? But he's telling him, this man's operating above that. Come on, somebody that camps out with God in the glory for two months at a time and comes down and his face shines like a light bulb. When he marries somebody, should you open your mouth about it? We have been ignorant in these areas and far too quick to open our mouth and criticize and find fault. And it's because of this, many have been judged. They didn't realize it was why some things happened. But it was because of leaving, it's opening a door that allowed the enemy access to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't have the place nor the right in everybody's life to correct everybody. I certainly don't have the right or place to correct my elders. Those that are over me in the Lord. I said, what do you mean over you? That's a scripture. It's actually four scriptures in the New Testament. But see, this sounds foreign to people. You think, well, nobody's over anybody else. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. The Lord places some over others. Doesn't make them better. Doesn't make them smarter. But you should, even though you don't respect everything that person over you says or does, you must respect God choosing them. And the placement, or that's why you don't respect Him. And what they don't realize is they have disrespected God. They have got out of their place. 
They're correcting the one that God calls faithful in all my house. Keep reading. This is God testifying about this man. He said, with him, I will speak mouth to mouth. Even apparently, not in dark speeches. I speak with him plainly. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. He sees the form of the Almighty in the fire. And here's his voice. And what should be going through Miriam's and Aaron's mind is, do you ever see that? Do you ever hear that? Well, no, no. Then who do you think you are? This man talks to me every day. I let him see my my visage, my form. There's something not said here that I want to add. God is saying, this is my man. He's the most faithful one in my whole house. I let him hear my words. I let him see my form. If I want to talk to him about his Ethiopian wife, I will. And if I'm not talking to him, you need to shut up. Is this serious or not? I know that's the Keith Moore paraphrase, but is some of that not in there? Why are they out there? Why are they out there? Because they spoke up and they corrected him when they should not have. God ain't saying anything to him about it. Well, then must be okay. Leave it alone. Yeah, but she's not Jewish. Yeah, but, and yeah, but shut up. God talks to the man every day. If he wants to talk to him about this, can he? Who has the right to correct whom? Who has the place to correct whom? The truth is, He had the right to correct them. They didn't have the right to correct him. But being a humble man, like as he was, he wasn't trying to straighten them out. But they being foolish were trying to straighten him out. He he said, uh, he'll behold my similitude. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Why didn't you have some respect and some reverence and even some awe and godly fear about overstepping your bounds and correcting him? They saw him after the flesh. Miriam thought, that's my brother. I'll tell him if I want to tell him. Yeah. And she wound up leprous and Moses had to pray for her. Is that right? To get healed. Serious situation. Well, she opened the door. Up to judgment and problems in her life. Oh yeah. You can have your say. But what's it going to cost you? You can be defiant. You can speak up when you should be quiet. But. uh, Who has the right. To correct whom. (laughs) We've really gotten into something here haven't we. The Bible gives us an example. I'm going to give you two, two more here real quickly. One is where angels are concerned. We have two places in the New Testament where he reminded us that angels didn't reprove or rebuke other spirits. Second Peter 2, 11, 
He said, angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. In uh, Jude 8 and 9, it says, Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. This is something that happened when Moses died and his body was there. And apparently the enemy tried to do something with uh, about Moses' body, but the, an angel intervened. He said, when he was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not bring a railing accusation, but said what? The Lord, the Lord rebuke you. What does that mean? He acknowledged, I don't have a place to correct you. The Lord correct you. The Lord rebuke you. See, angels understand these things. This is beyond my place. In uh, Acts, the 23rd chapter, listen to this. Paul had been taken by the mob and hauled in front of the uh, high priest. And the high priest commanded the one standing by Paul to hit him. And I guess hit him in the face. And then Paul said in verse 3, Acts 23, 3, Paul said, God will smite you, you whited wall, you whitewashed wall. (laughs) You ever been hit real hard in the face? It'll make you want to say something. (laughs) He said, you you sit there to judge me after the law and command me to be smitten. You command him to hit me contrary to the law. And the people that stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul apologized. Are y'all with me, friends? He apologized. Here's an ungodly man sitting in a place of authority, but God's not ordaining everything the man's doing. He did ordain the place. And Paul said, I I wish not. It means I didn't know. I didn't realize he was a high priest. For it is written, what? You shall not speak evil of the what? Ruler. That's somebody that's over you. Ruler of your people. He apologized. He said, I, uh, sorry, guys, I, I didn't realize he was a high priest. I don't for whatever reason, he didn't, didn't put it together. Not that what the man was doing was okay. He was being evil and ungodly. It's not about respecting and making a big deal out of flesh. It's about making a big deal out of God's choice and the place that God has given. Has the Lord told us to submit to those who are over us? Again, this is highly unpopular. But it's always been the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 says, know them that labor among you and are what? Over you in the Lord and admonish you. Well, admonish includes correcting. And to do what? Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. The Bible talks about, and this is even more... uh, Unpopular than those verses. (laughs) The Spirit of God through Paul said, 
I don't suffer a woman to teach or usurp authority over the man, but to be in quietness. Now, I don't know that there is a more unpopular verse (laughs) than that one. But do we just throw these verses away? Well, times have changed. So God changed. His word changed. You have to put this with other scriptures. What does this mean? This doesn't mean that any man has authority over any woman. If you read the rest of the passage, he's talking about husbands and wives, Adam and Eve. And what does it mean not to usurp authority over? Some years ago, this has been decades ago, I was at my parents' house visiting, and uh, some distant relatives came over, older man and woman, they'd been married for many years. And the man was telling something, and it was kind of jovial. And and about, I don't know, three minutes in, his wife called his name and said, Now, now so-and-so, just shut up now. You got it all wrong. You, you're messing it all up. Let me tell it. And he slumped down in his chair and sat there and didn't say anything while she talked and talked and talked and talked. And the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, He gave up. A long time ago. What does that mean? He gave up being the head of the house. That is an example. She usurped authority over him and taught him and corrected him. She may have been 100% right about the things that happened. But she's 100% wrong in front of the Lord. Y'all with me or not? I know people don't like this. But what do you do with all the scriptures that talk about these things? It doesn't mean that because a man is a man, because a man is male, that he's smarter or wiser or more capable. Any more than because I'm me, That I'm better than you if I lead this church. I'm as human as you. You're as human as me. But if God chose me to be the head of the local assembly, he anointed me to be the head of the local assembly. Come on, are y'all with me? And it's that anointing that would make me better at it than you. If he put that anointing on you, I'd have no advantage. Well, God puts an anointing on the husband and the father to lead the house. If you're female, he could have put you in a male body. (laughs) And he could have made you the the pastor, the head of the local church. Anything you believe about submission, wives to husbands, you have to practice throughout the whole body. Submission is supposed to work in all these relationships. We're supposed to submit to our fathers and mothers in the faith. We're supposed to submit to our civil leaders. Oh, that's a popular one, isn't it? (laughs) The younger are supposed to submit to the elder. It's not just a, a husband and wife thing. It's the place. 
You know, as the wife, you may be a lot smarter than your husband about some things. But that doesn't mean you're anointed to be the head. And one of the big things in this area is, are you asking or telling? Just just making this change can make a huge difference in your life. Somebody said out loud, are you asking are you telling? Good example. Last week, Phyllis helped me out in the offering. In the, on the plane project, I misspoke. It was 330 pounds it was paid for, which was good. But I said 3,300. <laughs> and Phyllis uh, was putting her hand up over here and she was doing this kind of thing. And finally she spoke up and, and she said, was that, you know, was that what you meant to say? And, and, and was it, it was this. And, the, and, and later on she said, was that okay? I said, oh yeah, please. But she didn't stand up and say, now sh- Keith, shut up. You got it all wrong. You messed up. <laughs> now why you, why'd you laugh about that? Because see, you know that wouldn't be right. You know that wouldn't be right. Why? It's not because I'm a man. And she's a woman. It's not about gender. It's about God's choice. And God's anointing. For places. We're not making a big deal out of flesh. We want to respect the call. We want to respect the anointing. Isn't that what God was telling Miriam and Aaron. When they took it upon themselves. To correct their brother. And God took it personally. He said, why weren't you afraid to step up here and correct him like this? Don't you know who he is to me? People treated Jesus with such disrespect when he walked the earth. They didn't realize who they were talking to. Who he was and what he is. I mean, these these rulers of the Jews and these Pharisees, these doctors of the law, the, the disrespect... That they treated him with. God took it personally. I hope they got it right before they died. But friend. Do you want to honor the Lord? Do you want things to be right? As you grow. And as you develop. You'll see things. The Lord has privileged Phyllis and I. To fellowship with our elders. We got to fellowship with the Hagans. For years. We get to fellowship with others. Do you always see eye to eye on everything that they say and do? Well, no, you don't always see it just like that. But uh, it's not my place. Come on, are you with me? It's not my place to say or do. And to act like I'm in the place to correct. And if it came up strongly, what should I do? I should ask a question. I'm not trying to teach you. How many of you can ask a question with a stinky attitude? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about you're still actually a usurping authority and trying to teach, but you put a question mark on the end of it. I'm not talking about that. Do you believe this is important? Is it serious? It is. The Bible tells you Proverbs list more than once people you should not correct. 
He said, don't reprove a scorner. Rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. Don't speak in the ears of a fool because he will despise your wisdom. Jesus said, don't give that which is holy to the dogs. There's a lot of people. Their life is a mess. They need a lot of correction. But the truth is, you have no place in their life. They have not given you any place to correct them. And so you should not be trying to push things off on them and straighten them out. They've not given you that place. The way it works in the kingdom of God is different from how it is in the world. Jesus said the rulers of this world, they exercise authority and dominion over each other. And force is used. He said it shall not so, it, it won't be like that among you. But he that is greatest among you will be as your servant. And he never said those in authority make these people do this. No, no, no. He said these people acknowledge who's over you and you submit yourself to them. If you don't give place to God to correct you, he won't. And if he said these folks are over you in the Lord, if you don't give place to them, even though you need it, there are times they shouldn't because they know they don't have the place. You didn't give it to them. You wouldn't hear it if they said it. Said out loud, I'm not defiant. I choose not to be. I'm not rebellious. I will receive correction from the Lord and through those he has placed over me in the Lord. Amen. Stand on your feet if you would. There's so much more that can be said about this, but that's plenty to chew on for now. Twice in Hebrews and in Thessalonians and in other places, he used the phrase, those who are over you in the Lord. So uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to reveal this to us. You and I should know who's over us in the Lord. If you can't name some names, you need to pray and seek God and get revelation and acknowledge the revelation. Am I quoting scriptures or not? So pray it out loud because you mean it, because you're serious. Say it out loud, Father God. My heart is to be like the Master and to submit myself completely to you. And what you do. I ask you. Reveal to me. Those who are over me. In the Lord. Those you've called. Chosen. Anointed. Appointed. Over me. That I may show the proper respect. And give them. Yea give you. The place to minister to me, instruct me, correct me, help me as you would. I ask for it, I believe for it, I thank you for it, and I thank you for perfecting me 
like the master. It's the glory of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.